right, hello everyone and welcome back to Attention to Detail. Hope you enjoyed if you happen to listen to our uh, little break intermission there for our ring cycle breakdowns and liked our Lord of the Rings breakdown, but we are back today with Act 1 of Siegfried, the next opera in the ring cycle. Today's going to probably be a little shorter because, to be honest, my own personal preference, but this is... Uh, my thoughts on the ring cycle, my least favorite of the four operas happens to be Siegfried. Great way to sell this episode, I know, but in any event, what that will do for us is we'll just be doing a little more spark noting of these, uh, these three acts and hearing the really important stuff. So this might be a little shorter than usual, but we'll get right to the action and we start with a character who we've already seen before the character of Mima. If you remember, this was Alberic's brother and kind of servant. We met him in Das Rheingold. And now we come across Mima again in what's specified as a rocky cavern in a forest. And Mima is working. He's kind of this blacksmith type character. And so we hear a lot of music that we've heard already in Rheingold, this kind of Nibelung music, the capitalistic music of the mine. This is what opens the opera of Siegfried. So I'll skip a little bit, but let's hear a little bit of the music from the opening orchestral interlude to Siegfried, where we'll hear the Nibelung theme, the theme of the ring, and themes of the sword, because Mima is smithing various metals here and things like that, so we get all of our metal leitmotifs. So here's the opening of Siegfried. So right at the end of that clip, first we heard this kind of agitated, painful, industrious music, and then we heard the ring motif a couple of times, if, if our keen ears might have picked up on that right at the end of that audio clip. So we open on the action, and Mima is complaining that he can't actually forge this sword. So he has somehow come in possession of these shards of Notung, the sword that Wotan, if you remember, shattered in Valkyrie. And Mima is now in possession of these, these shards, but somehow he, he's not able to forge them together. And he's singing about Siegfried, and he's singing about Siegfried. A lot of time has passed, and we soon come to find out that Siegfried, the character that Sieglinde was carrying, was pregnant with, has now been born and has been raised by Mima in this forest. And so we're about to be introduced to Siegfried, the title character of the opera, but first Mima is, opens the scene and he's singing about how Siegfried could potentially slay this dragon Fafner, who, if you remember Fafner, he was also from Das Rheingold. We met him early on in the play, or in the opera, excuse me, and uh, Fafner is the one who clubbed his own brother to death, took the ring, and went, hid out in this forest, and transformed himself with the Tarnhelm, the magic helmet, into a dragon. So Fafner is currently in possession of the ring and he's camped out in the middle of some forest as a dragon. 
So Mima mentions that uh, Siegfried could slay Fafner with the sword, and we hear the leitmotif of Fafner, which we should hear again just to remind ourselves what that one actually is. So we hear that when Mima is singing about Fafner, here's that, that leitmotif. So that low groaning sound is, is Fafner's leitmotif. And he sings about how, again, how Siegfried could defeat Fafner if only he could have this sword reforged. And then Siegfried enters, and he's our title character of the opera and one of the two most important characters of the latter half of the Ring Cycle. And so let's hear when he first enters the scene, we get introduced to some important motifs. If you remember, we've already heard his actual leitmotif when Wotan was singing about this hero that could come and rescue Brunhilde, but we get a couple of other important leitmotifs here that we should, we should know with Siegfried. So here's his first entrance, this ardent young youth, um, very energetic, very uh, naive as we'll, we'll come to find, but here is Siegfried's first, first entrance out of the scene. Here's Siegfried, he's, a, he's sung by what's called a Helden tenor. It's a specific voice part for Wagner operas that is only really used in, in Wagner operas and a couple of select other operas, which is a very high tenor part, incredibly taxing for the singer because they have to sing for so long, so high, so loudly. And that is this title character of Siegfried. It requires an incredibly... Um, strong singer with a lot of endurance and also a voice that can cut over this massive Wagnerian orchestra. So we get to hear Siegfried enter for the first time and we hear an important motif. Now I'm actually recording this today um, not in my in my home in Michigan way down south in Georgia and I don't have my keyboard with me but I can hopefully demonstrate on this handy dandy online keyboard I've got here. So here's the motif of Siegfried's horn, which we get to hear first here, and we will hear many times over the course of this opera. It goes like this. So again, my apologies for that sound quality, but that is Siegfried's horn. We hear that over and over, and he's really represented by two motifs. His motif that we're introduced to in Valkyrie and this motif of his horn. The horn is kind of meant to represent the more, the bravado of his personality, the, the ardent youthfulness. He plays this kind of hunting horn. So he comes on the scene, he's a very arrogant character. He's kind of talking to Mima and he's bossing him around. And Mima is really lamenting this, um, state of affairs. He's raised Siegfried, but Siegfried has now become this kind of brash youth who uh, bosses Mima around everywhere and, and seemingly has no 
no cares in the world. He's he's all about himself. And so there's a long scene where Mima is kind of lamenting this state of affairs. And then we should listen. We hear this motif of what we might call longing. And I want to play that motif for you because it's an important one. We hear it a lot. So here is about 16 minutes into the opera, we hear this motif of longing. This is another one that we should commit to our ears. Siegfried is talking about how repulsive he finds Mima, and he kind of, he doesn't believe that Mima is his real father, um, and so we hear this kind of cello motif of longing when Mima is singing about how, you know, he laments the fact that, that Siegfried finds him so repulsive. But then we get this long scene where Siegfried is, is asking uh, who his mom is. He's, he's trying to figure out the origins of his parents because he's been raised by Mima, and he, he thinks originally that Mima is his dad, and so he wants to know who his mom is, but then he also will later want to figure out who his dad is. And there's a very important moment, which we should listen to, where he says, and there in the stream, he's talking about he was walking uh, you know, in the woods or something, and he said, and there in the stream I saw my face, but not like to thine looked it to me, so like to a toad or to a glittering fish. So he's, he's basically saying, you know, he, he, he doesn't think Mima is his father. And let's listen to the music when he says that exact line right there. So important moment there. We heard those keen ears again, if we're listening to our leitmotifs about halfway through that clip, we heard Siegfried's motif himself. Bom, 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 bom. That is Siegfried's motif that we heard first, if you remember when uh, Sieglinda finds out she's pregnant, and then when Wotan says, only a hero can come rescue you, Brunhilde. And then we also heard this motif, the one that, that goes like this. I'll play it here for us. Right at the end of the clip. Sorry, those, that was not in the correct register. I'm using this, this fake piano again, but um, that is the motif of the fate of the Velsungs. If you remember way back to the beginning of Valkyrie, we heard that motif several times when Siegfried's actual parents we're talking about how their race, the Velsung race, is kind of fated to doom. So there's a clue there that, you know, Siegfried's parents are actually Velsungs, namely Zygmunt and Zieglinda, and not actually Mima. So important leitmotivic moment there. So he asks who his parents really are, and Mima tells him the story of what happened. You know, Zieglinda came to him, and she was 
with child, but also she was struggling. She, I think, was injured, and uh, she had also just lost Sigmund. And so we'll listen to one important moment when he says, Mina says, I helped as best I could. Strong was the stress. She died, but Siegfried came to life. And this is an important moment in the long story that he, he kind of tells Siegfried over the course of many minutes here in, in the first scene. But let's listen to that line when he says that Sieglinda died, but she gave birth to, to Siegfried. there first, that clarinet, that uh, nice clarinet line that we heard beautiful at the beginning is the motif, if you remember, of the twins' love. We heard that when Zygmunt and Zieglinda fell in love with each other, and so uh, we hear this kind of memory back to what created Siegfried in the first place, and um, potentially a kind of... Uh, Zieglinda was having these flashes of seeing Zygmunt uh, at, toward the end of Valkyrie, and so maybe this harkens back to one of those. And then we heard this kind of destiny or fate motif at the end, suggesting that, again, like so many events in this opera, this was somehow fated to happen. And then another important moment, just a, a few seconds later, Mima says, to my charge, she gave over the child, I gladly sheltered thee. And let's also listen to this important moment in this, this story. All right, so there he says that this is an important leitmotif that I, I want us, if we can, to remember across the span of many operas. He says, I gladly sheltered thee, but interestingly, we're introduced to this other idea. I'll play it for you here on our handy-dandy piano that, that goes like this. And we heard that in an instrument that I've mentioned already several times that is very important, the bass clarinet by itself. I just want us to keep that in the back of our minds. There's a lot of things I know to keep in the back of our minds, but that is what we hear when, when Mima says this, to, to my charge she gave over the child. So Siegfried keeps pressing, he wants to know his mom's name, and eventually Mima says his mom's name was Zieglinda, and so now Siegfried starts not trusting Mima really, and he wants to know who his dad is as well. And um, Mima is kind of, dodging. He doesn't want to, to tell him. But uh, Mima shows him the sword and he says, you know, this, this came with, with your mom and here are the shards of the sword. And uh, Siegfried asks Mima to forge it. And Mima asks what he would do with the sword and Siegfried says, 
basically he, he'd run away from there. I don't trust you. You're not my father. Um, I'm going on great adventures. I'm never going to see you again. And uh, this is the music that we hear right there, the transition from the, that's the end of the first scene of this act to the second scene. shows up. And the Wanderer happens to be Votan. Um, Votan disguised as a Wanderer, a Wanderer with an eye patch, still has his spear. So he, he stumbles across Mima. Of course, Votan being a god and kind of being all-knowing in some ways, he, uh, he knows everything that's going on, but he's disguised himself as a Wanderer. And Mima doesn't want to talk with this character. He's an intruder and he doesn't want to deal with him. But Votan decides to make a wager with Mima if, um, if he can answer three of Mima's questions, then, you know, Mima has to engage with him and, and let him stay. And if not, he'll, he'll leave. So we'll hear a little bit of music when he first makes this wager. It's, it's an important moment in this second scene. Wager. Um, 
not a wager that I personally would take, but somehow Mima decides this is an okay idea. So first, um, Votan asks him a question about the Velsungs, who is this race of people that, that Votan created, and Mima knows, he knows the answer, it's the Velsungs, and we hear the Velsung motif over and over. Then he asks, what's the name of this sword that uh, got broken by Votan and that was pulled out of a tree by Zygmunt? Mima knows the answer to this too, it's Notung, we hear the motif of the sword many times. I'm skipping over huge amounts of music here because this is a particularly stagnant scene, I'd say. But then we come to the third and final question, the most important question. And the question is, um, is about who can repair the sword of Notung. And this, of course, is, um, this is a, one that Mima doesn't know how to answer because he's been trying and he hasn't been able to. And it turns out that the answer, which Mima doesn't know, and so he's lost the wager, which Votan tells him, is only he who does not know fear can repair the sword. And this is an important moment. We skipped a lot of music here, but let's listen to this moment when Votan says, he who does not know fear is the only person who can repair this sword. And if we remember, it's the same he who does not know fear who can make it through this circle of magic fire that Brunhilde is surrounded by. So here is that moment, he who does not know fear. We don't hear the Siegfried motif. We might actually expect that there. I'm not sure why, why it's not there, because we know the answer. Uh, you know, Mima doesn't know the answer yet, but we know the answer. Only those who, who don't know fear. Mima is soon going to figure out what the answer to that question is. But Votan says, and uh, he, he turns to leave, and he says, Thy wily head ward from today, I leave it forfeit to him who has never learned to fear. So Votan says, you know, I'm not going to chop off your head. That's up to the person who has never learned to fear whether he wants to do that or not. So a little bit of foreboding potentially there, but Votan lets him go for the time being. And then to transition to the third scene, Mima kind of, uh, we get this forging mu music again, and he, Mima starts singing a little bit about kind of uh, fire, and he, there's this kind of similar forging music, but now we hear the magic fire music, the stuff that we, we heard at the end of Valkyrie and a couple other times, the music of Loga, the god of fire, to transition to this third scene. For some reason, this is not the forging music of before, but a little bit of this uh, fire music, and so we hear a little bit of this in the transition to the final scene, the third scene of this, this act. And let's listen to a little bit just to refresh our memory of what that, that fire music sounds like.
hear a little bit of that fire music. Mima's getting increasingly agitated as he can't forge this sword. And then we hear, of course, in the middle there, Siegfried shows back up. The music becomes more triumphant and horn-like again. And he, he bursts on the scene and he's back and he says, Oh, Mima, have you, have you finished this sword? It's, uh, it's time. And of course, Mima has not and he can't. And they have a little conversation, and through this conversation, Siegfried's kind of naivete, but also his brashness, his arrogance, Mima is starting to realize that Siegfried is the one who doesn't, has never learned fear. Siegfried kind of comes across a little bit as, um, he, he almost comes across as, as stupid in this, this scene. He, and in fact, this is, this is a little bit of a theme that, that goes on over the course of uh, this opera is that Siegfried in some ways is very, if nothing else, than than naive um, and arrogant. And uh, I don't know if Wagner would necessarily say this, but from a modern lens, undoubtedly a kind of not, uh, not a particularly admirable hero. He's very flawed. So in any case, he, uh, Mima starts realizing this, that, that Siegfried doesn't feel fear, and he, he goes on to, he kind of asks him, have you never felt, you know, your throat grip up or been terrified? And um, he says, you know, hast thou not yet felt that, then fear is a stranger to thee. And then we get this music where Siegfried is kind of contemplating uh, what, what that must, must be like, or he says, wonderful surely must that be, yet my heart steadfast beats my breast. The shivering, the shaking, he, he kind of imagines a world in which there's fear, um, where he could be fearful, and we hear this very odd music when he's doing that, and I want to play for you this this one moment. It's, a, it's an important leitmotif, but also it's just the music you would least expect when a line like this comes. Siegfried motif again, and then he says the shivers and the shakings, the glowing and the sinking, burning and fainting, fainting, beating and quaking. Um, he's talking about what this sensation might be like, and again we get that magic fire music, that kind of flickering music. So fire has taken on this interesting character in, in this act. It's not only that magic fire, but it's what fire might represent. Um, this is one of the great I think use kind of applications of light motifs is they don't represent always a singular uh, item or even concept or uh, material. They represent multiple concepts and a kind of constellation of ideas um, and our magic fire music is being used in that way. So we're coming to the closing of the act and uh, Siegfried once again asks for the sword and now he wants to take the shards for himself and he's going to try it and so we hear this long 
close to this third scene where Siegfried is singing this forging music and he kind of almost has this forging aria. We're going to skip a lot of this music because to me it's not, again, the best stuff that Wagner really ever wrote. But while he's doing this um, kind of in the background, he's almost singing offstage, Mima is plotting and Mima is thinking, you know, okay, how am I going to get out of... Wotan told me that Siegfried's going to cut off my head, um, and if he reforges this sword, that's definitely going to happen, and he's foreseeing an event in which, okay, Siegfried's going to take this sword, he's going to kill Fafnir, he's going to get the ring, then he's going to chop off my head, I'll be of no use to him anymore. And so Mima is the next, you know, line of many characters who... Want, part of the reason why he wants to save his own head, but he also keeps saying he wants the ring for himself. And so he needs a way to get out of both of these problems. And he's one of many who have been corrupted by the ring, who have come under its power and who now want it. So he's trying to fashion a plan for how he is going to escape from this fate of his, but also get the ring for himself. And so he wants to use Siegfried, he wants Siegfried to kill Fafner for him. So he likes that Siegfried is forging the sword again, but he's also fashioning this poison drink that he is going to deploy at the right moment to give to Siegfried, and he'll be in possession of the ring, and then he'll be able to you know, take over Alberic's domain and uh, get back at everyone who's ever wronged him. And so he now is yet another character who has been grasped by the alluring power of the ring and wants it for himself. So let's listen to the very end of this act one. We've, we've skipped an enormous amount of material here, but as I mentioned, because this is the Spark Notes version, we're, we're cutting a lot of the stuff that we don't necessarily need to hear or is not super, super important to the plot. And so we'll skip ahead very much to the, we're skipping this whole forging aria, which you can go listen to if you're interested. Um, but we end the act by saying, kind of, uh, Siegfried has uh, fashioned this sword now and he's ready to go off and fight whoever with it. He says, strike at the traitor, cut down the knave, see me, thou smith, he's showing off this uh, sword. And then in an important moment or an important symbolic moment, he slams the sword down on the anvil that he was striking and he shatters the anvil in half. So. We'll probably, I think we'll hear that in this clip, him actually breaking the anvil, but that's meant to illustrate in very theatrical fashion that this sword can slay anything, including a, an anvil of which we've heard the music of an anvil many, many times before. So there's maybe something, the anvil represents the, the Nibelungs, and so there's maybe something to that a little more um, symbolically than just him chopping an anvil in half. So in any case, we get that music and then we get this frenzied end to the act. This is actually, I think, great music, this last minute or so of, uh, of act one. So let's listen to this end of the act of, uh, end of the first act of Siegfried, where he's finally forged the sword and he is ready to go off and conquer whoever he needs to conquer with it. This character, our arrogant, brash, young character of Siegfried who knows no fear. So here's the end of act one of Siegfried.
sings his own name of Siegfried and goes way high up, has to sing super loud. It's a very thrilling end to the act, albeit a, a slightly a slightly less interesting Wagnerian act there, but we've we've cut it down to less than 35 minutes here, which I'm which I'm pleased about. Usually that's that's a challenge for me, but somehow today I was able to to keep this a little more tight. I think that's because as I mentioned, Siegfried is not my absolute favorite opera of Wagner's, but uh, we'll listen to the important moments and get to my favorite opera, the Götterdammerung, the last opera of this this cycle. So, as always, thanks for joining us. My apologies for the maybe slightly different sound quality today and the piano and stuff like that. I am recording in a different place, but I will be back to normal. I mean, nothing's normal these days, but back to relative normal in a few days for Acts 2 and 3 of Siegfried, and then on to the Twilight of the Gods, Götterdammerung. So, as always... Thanks for joining us, and we will see you back here soon. <laughs>